Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Check out Audible.com for an offer of a 30-day free trial and a free book. With us today is the Weekly Standard's Bill Crystal. Bill, did you see the president's speech on the end of terror as we know it? I, I read about it, and I ended up reading it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's so confident that the, the war against the... the we, we get to declare unilaterally, apparently, that the war is over. I guess that's the, way history, that's the lesson of history, he thinks. We just decide, hey, 10 years, 11 years, a long time, 12 years. So I guess let's just bring this war to an end. Doesn't the enemy get a vote? Uh, I thought it was interesting that he was declaring that the war is over and that we can go back to the good old days of just fighting crime within 24 hours of a British soldier having his head almost removed from his body in a public street in the broad daylight from two guys who said, hi, we're here for jihad. They weren't apparently they didn't get President Obama's memo. Well, and more importantly, for the sake of, you know, from the U.S. point of view, obviously, within what, five, six weeks of the attack in Boston. But no, you're absolutely right. I think about a month, uh, pretty recently, President Obama compared the current situation to the Cold War, the long twilight struggle. That lasted 40 years. And we had things in place for those 40 years because we knew we had to deal with international communism as an enemy. It wasn't always a hot war. It was, as we say, a Cold War. And it was involved a lot of other things than, than sending troops places. But the idea that somehow we can unilaterally decide that the threat has decreased when there's not much empirical evidence, it has, unfortunately. Um, I hope we've degraded al-Qaeda in certain areas, but they seem to be stronger in others. One of the most striking things about the speech was, I believe this is true, there's a total absence of a mention of weapons of mass destruction. I mean, this was not just a, an obsession of the Bush administration. Bill Clinton, Madeleine Albright, as Secretary of State, I remember this in the late 90s, said the threat that we're now facing is the possibility of terror groups getting their hands on weapons of mass destruction. The terror groups exist. The weapons of mass destruction exist. Unfortunately, nations like Iran seem to be getting closer to having them. Nations like Pakistan and North Korea have more of them than they did 10 years ago. Uh, that's just nuclear weapons, leaving aside the chemical and biological weapons that are seem to be, you know, that, that could be getting loose in Syria. Right. And, 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 and the president's attitude really does seem to be, well, we might have a couple of Bostons, we might have a couple of individual jihadists, a couple of workplace incidents. What, what is Major Hassan That's called? Right. Uh, workplace uh, yeah. workplace uh, violence. Yeah, but, but, but you know, we're, we're safe from what, the, what Clinton and Bush thought was the fundamental threat. And it's just, if you look around the world, it seems to be still remains a pretty fundamental threat. So I, I really am a little stunned by his apparent complacency, and I hope we pay no price for it, obviously. But um, it's it's really a heck of an attitude to think that we get to declare when the war's over and that the enemy doesn't get a vote. Well, uh, here in Boston, where I do my radio show from, Bill, we had quite a conversation about the declaration that there have been, quote, no large-scale attacks on the U.S., close quote, since President Obama's been in office. And uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the definition is, but Three people dead, 264 injured, an entire international sporting event, uh, you know, uh, terrorized, and a city shut down for a day. Is, is that a small-scale terrorist attack now? Or do you think he thinks it's not a sort of attack from abroad because they were already in Boston? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's very unwise. I mean, honestly, that's what most, one of the most annoying, and not just annoying, but I think off-putting and inappropriate things about the speech is this is an issue on which people should be modest. This is an issue in which presidents are going to be judged by results. And you don't want to boast ahead of time about how well you're doing, and you don't want to minimize the threat ahead of time. He's going to look ridiculous, and we're going to pay a pretty high price, obviously, if stuff happens over the next two, three years. And he can, we can debate the different policies he's adopted in terms of drone strikes and Guantanamo. 
though even there, I've got to say, I mean, the Guantanamo stuff is just ludicrous. Really, we're going to send a bunch of terrorists back to Yemen so they can go back to the terror wars. We're going to pretend that we... He doesn't like the idea. He doesn't think our children and grandchildren will judge us well if we keep these people locked up in Guantanamo. So what? So what are we going to do? I mean, he, didn't, he doesn't propose anything concrete. It's such moral posturing and such an absence of being serious about the responsibilities of, of being commander-in-chief. You know, it's fascinating when the person who seems to have the moral uh, compass in the room is a Code Pink protester screaming her brains out in the <laughs> middle of a protest. But I thought she asked the right question. Pre- Right, right question. You're the president. Why don't you do something? Right. Well, he'd say Congress is stopping him from doing things, but he's not as if he's exactly been spending a lot of time. If this is such an important moral test of us going to Congress, making his case to the American public. Maybe I missed the moments in his uh, convention acceptance speech and and in the presidential campaign and the debates when he had uh, you know 60, 70, 50, 60, 70 million Americans watching, where he made the case for uh, uh, rationing back the war on terror and and uh, letting these uh, terrorists go back to Yemen where they can get back in the fight. I mean, wasn't the whole claim that we were, you know, the, sort of the opposite, how tough he was? Right. Um, and, of course, that does get to, you know, the desire to cover up what happened in Benghazi. So the whole thing is a very, uh, and that to just do it, I agree with you also about the London beheading. I mean, I guess the speech was previously scheduled and they didn't want to change it, but there's something a little... Um, again, inappropriate, it seems to me, about pretending that, you know, we get to end this war the, what, a day or two after this ghastly attack in London. The uh, notion that Americans are going to have the most dangerous of dangerous Guantanamo Bay detainees brought to the United States where they can be flypaper for a whole host of the folks like the ones we saw on the streets of London, like the ones the Zarnia brothers in Boston. Just I, I will tell I don't I don't grasp either the foreign the, the policy aspect or the politics. I, I'd love to know where the president plans on putting this new uh, Americanized Guantanamo. I know that there's a house in Hyde Park, Chicago, that's not being used right now. And it already has a bomber in the neighborhood. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Well, remember, we can't just keep them locked up either. They have due process rights in the U.S., and they will have to go to a criminal trial. And it's not clear that we can convict these people. There's no uh, chain of custody for evidence that people will be witnessing just testifying about things that happened 10 years ago in the wilds of Afghanistan or wherever else these people were apprehended. I mean, it's, I, I think there's a real risk a lot of these people would just go free. And, you know, I suppose we can then track them and kill them by, with drone strikes, maybe. I don't know if that's better than keeping them locked up in Guantanamo. But, but of course, now with his new very restrictive drone policy there, too, there was such moral posturing. What, didn't he say something like uh, we, we wouldn't use drone strikes unless we were almost certain there wouldn't be civilian casualties? Right. How can that be? How can that be? What if an al-Qaeda, every al-Qaeda leader is just going to go around with civilians accompanying him, wife, children, others just in the, from the neighborhood, shopkeepers, and, you know, just be, and, and what, are we not going to attack these people because they surround themselves with with civilians, again, it's a kind of moral posturing that makes him feel good. He would like to be the American president who's figured out how to fight wars without ever killing any civilians. But it's deeply irresponsible. Either we're not going to do it, and it's just hypocritical, which I hope is the case, honestly, (laughs) or we're really going to curb our ability to to, to take out the bad guys. Bill Crystal, why do I have to explain these things to you over and over again? Using drones to kill Americans in the, the midst of this fight is always immoral unless Barack Obama does it, at which time it immediately becomes moral because of the actor. But I, speaking of actors, I have to ask you about another story from this week, and that is the Eric Holder story. I rarely have wow, holy gasp moments, but when I found out that Eric Holder personally signed off on the false affidavit 
that tried to persuade a judge that James Rosen of Fox News was a potential North Korean t- spy coke collaborator. I, I just I thought, well, then Eric Holder won't be attorney general very long. Am, am I missing something? Well, I don't know. You'd think, well, he'd be, and he also, of course, seems to have testified to Congress, you know, a little bit before that he, uh, oh, he wouldn't have ever done anything like that. And then it turns out he did do something like that. It also raises the question of, did he tell the president for whom he does work, whether whether he, whether there was such an investigation going on? I mean, the, the President Obama and the White House seem to now have the attitude that they're not responsible for anything the federal government does unless President Obama was personally told about it in a publicly released email or conversation. But um, he is in charge of the uh, Treasury Department, which has the IRS. He is in charge, ultimately, of the Justice Department, which is run under his supervision by the Attorney General. And uh, I think it's kind of astonishing, I think, the degree to which uh, he's just taking the Sergeant Schultz, you know, I know nothing, I see nothing kind of attitude, as if that absolves him of responsibility. And uh, at, at best, he's been really a negligent manager of the executive branch. The president does take an oath that, uh, to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Um, and at worst, I, you know, we really wonder how much they're just playing a game of, you know, well, let's have deniability on, on everything. But, you know, Benghazi, he was, uh, you know, he told us to do their best, but and, and he got reports about what was happening there. Uh, the just leaked investigations, uh, he really believes in freedom of the press. He's a little surprised to find out that the Attorney General, one of his closest friends, really, and associates in the cabinet, signed off on this. Um, and then, of course, uh, IRS... Uh, you know, their public accounts, congressmen write letters, but no one had told the White House that there was a controversy at the IRS. No one at the White House called over and said, hey, what's going on there? You know, maybe you guys should take a look and make sure nothing uh, untoward is happening. I mean, it really does paint a picture of an administration and a president who is, um, you can joke about it, you know, I have and you have with Sergeant Schultz and all that, but it really is a little astonishing and a little worrisome. They think it's a good defense to say he didn't personally order that the uh, talking points be changed or that the IRS investigate Tea Party groups or that Eric Holt to do this, but it's not really a good defense uh, against the charge, the true charge, that he's been a negligent president in all these respects. President Obama, his entire presidency, I've already written the history, by the way, Bill, I'll give you my first copy, strangled Osama bin Laden by bare hands, played golf the rest of the time. And that's yeah, it. Right, <laughs> right. Thanks so much for joining us, Bill. This has been the Weekly Standard Podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.